Hey folks, John Curry sitting here. I'm sitting with my friends Bruce and Judy Urban, and I want to thank you for listening in and welcome to another episode of the Secure Retirement Podcast. Uh, folks, welcome, and I'm glad you're here. Yeah, good to be here. Good to be here. Yes. Judy, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about uh, your work at Florida State University, or even before then, if you like. You were a professor of education, and then we'll come back to Bruce and Just give us a little bit of background. And I just thought of one question I'd like to know. I've never heard this from the two of you, how you met, where you met. Just kind of fill us in a little bit. Okay. And Bruce is real quiet, so I'm going to bug him and ask him to jump in here occasionally. Um, I, I was a professor of education at Florida State University, and that's where I ended my career, and I spent 30 years there. I was a teacher before that. Um, but one of the things that I'd like to share is a little earlier, and that is that I grew up in the Watts area of Los Angeles, and I never read a book or wrote a paper before I graduated from high school because it was during the time when the Watts, air, Watts riots were happening, and People were coming and going, and when my parents moved into the neighborhood, it was a Leave it to Beaver 1950 neighborhood, and it changed radically as we, as I went to middle school and high school. And so the education that I got was horrible. I mean, it was non-existent, and we were basically just housed. We weren't taught, and that was at a time when writing was assigned, but it wasn't taught, and so I was... A cheerleader and very happy at school. I mean, school wasn't bad because I was very social. So I just never paid attention to anything academic because the social, my social life was more important to me. Plus, nobody else seemed to care. And so I went to a small college. I went to California Lutheran University, which is in Thousand Oaks, California. And they took a special interest in everybody, not just me, but everybody. And my first semester in um, college, I made all C's and a D. And it wasn't because I didn't try. It was because I lacked study skills. I lacked prayer knowledge. I was asked to read a Western civilization book, (laughs) and I had no clue where anything was, let alone what happened there. And so, um, so I really struggled as a student when I first went to college. And uh, because there were people around who cared, and I, I got on the dean's list, but not the good one. <laughs> and so the dean called me in and said, you know, what's going on? Straighten up to get you know, out. I haven't been partying too much. And, uh, you know, bottom line was I didn't know how to study, and I had very little prior knowledge. I mean, I really didn't have much of an education in high school. You realize, knowing you as long as I've known you, I've never heard that story, but now I understand why you're so focused and you're a get-it-done person. I mean, what you call it earlier? Uh, a compulsive closure compulsive complex. Closure. Yeah, you come in, you want something done, you want it done now, yeah. and, and, and zipped up. You think some of that is because of the fact that you had to work so hard and struggled maybe in the early days in college? Well, yeah, I, I'm sure, and I, and I felt like I didn't know where to turn and I didn't know what to do to improve. All I, I did know that education was important. And I didn't even have much of a self-concept about my own intelligence as well uh, because we were just sort of housed. And I was very confident about my social ability. <laughs> and um, so I didn't have a negative experience in high school. I just didn't have much of an academic um, background. So when I went to college, I eventually made it to the good kind of dean's list uh, because I studied and there were people around that kind of uh, were checking up on me. And, um, and so I did graduate with a B average or so in college. Um, but I say that because 
uh, not everybody has a stellar high school experience. And it's really sort of up to you to make something of your education and to reach out. And fortunately, I went to a small college and not a UCLA where I would have sort of probably been lost. Right. So then eventually I became a teacher and uh, uh, I moved to uh, Tallahassee, Florida and became a teacher and ended up teaching. I taught one year fourth grade in uh, California. And then when I came to Florida, I taught middle school. How did you get from California to Florida? What brought that on? Well, that would be an ex-husband. Okay. Okay. And so uh, he was uh, working at uh, Florida State, and I ended up staying. He left, and then I met the love of my life, Bruce, and uh, who's blushing now. Um, Anyway, so I I was in, uh, I taught in middle school in Tallahassee, and then while I did that, I got my master's degree, and then I went to Indiana University and started a doctoral program. And so when I came back to Tallahassee, I came back as a professor. I taught at FAMU for a couple of years, and then I um, ended up teaching at Florida State. So I'm just listening to this story, and I'm hearing, okay, I, I didn't really get a good high school education. Never really read a book until I went to college. And now you're sitting here with a, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a doctorate. Right. And, and not only that, you were a professor of education, of all things. And I've written 20 books. 20. Yes. I didn't know it was that many. Wow. And uh, that, that was another evolution because I had to learn to write. And I had to teach myself to learn to write because nobody taught me to write. We're going to come back to that in a moment okay. because there's some learning opportunities and lessons here that anyone listening to us can apply, not only in their planning for their retirement, but in their day-to-day work life. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Okay. Okay. Bruce, tell us about your background. Grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida, went to junior college there in St. Petersburg, and was lucky enough and a good enough baseball player to get a scholarship to go to Mississippi State to play baseball and get my final education there. I ended up with a master's degree in physical education and health, and uh, went directly from there then after my eligibility was done to McClay School and worked there. Uh, first year was coach of everything, <laughs> uh, cleaned gymnasiums and everything else that didn't get done, I did it. So the second year after the athletic director that was there the first year left to take a state job, I took over the position and was there for 38 and a half more years as the athletic director. Learn learned in my final year <coughs> that I was chosen by my peers as the National Athletic Director of the Year. So I was very pleased about that. As you should and be. humbled. Should be. So how did the two of you meet? Tell us that. We, we were a romance. Judy and I both taught at McClay for an eighth a grade period romance. of time. Uh, the kids in the middle school were chuckling because we were having lunch together. Okay. And so it, it be, and then it got serious after that. So I'd love to see a video of that. The kids laughing and having fun. Especially middle school kids. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we got married. I started my doctoral program and then we got married short, shortly after that. And we've been married for 41 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Happily. Yes, great relationship. It shows. All of our years of working together, just being around, just just been fun. It's fun. 
All right, let's make a transition to talk a little bit about how you got focused on being where you are today. Over time, you had a job, okay? So you have a job, you're just trying to save some money and pay the bills. But the two of you are a little bit different. You, all the years I've known, you've been pretty disciplined and you save money, you don't waste money. So talk a little bit about your mindset about money itself. Have you always been that way, the two of you in this relationship? Yeah. <clears throat> remember, um, yes. Oh, I don't know. When I first met Bruce, he had a hutch. <laughs> and in the hutch, it didn't even have shells on it. In the hutch went all the bills. You told me this one time. This is really fun. She's going to tell on you, Bruce. <laughs> and, and, um, and then the way he kept his checkbook is that he would uh, round up to the next dollar. And then if he felt poor, he'd round up to the next $5. And that was to cover... The checks he forgot to put in there. That's always back. had money, though. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> I, I would say, and so uh, I, I, I happily took over the, taking care of the checks and things like that at that point, and he's never seemed to mind that. But um, I, I think one aspect of it is that Bruce and I have always worked as a team. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to consult my area's adolescent literacy. And and so adolescent literacy happened to be big as I was in smack dab in the, my career. So I had consulting opportunities. But we also had two small children mm-hmm. and who went to McClay School. And so Bruce did, I would say, 60 to 70% of the childcare with lunches and, and uniforms and teams and coordinating all of that because they went to the same school where Bruce taught and which left me free to be able to travel and do do my consulting. So I did make money uh, during those consulting years. And one of the things that I chose to do early on was I only took half of my consulting money and put it in one account that I could spend. And I took the other half of my consulting money and put it in a different account. And every quarter I paid my SEP account and I paid my taxes. Very good. So I never thought about <clears throat> being able to spend more than half of what I earned. And I think that helped because when we retired, uh, I ended up with a pretty healthy um, set plan right. that I'm now able to uh, draw upon. Very good. Well, you ended up with your pensions, mm-hmm. Social Security, and you saved money. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most people don't form the habit of saving money. And the biggest thing we do in our planning is encourage people to save money. We try to get people to save 15 to 20%, at least 10. Mm-hmm. But some people just, they never get it. And then when they retire, they are shocked to see that they have a big shortfall. <coughs> but part of that comes back to your mindset, too. See, the two of you were focused and you had a goal. You know, not spend all my money. Save some money. You well, made the- Although we did have a couple of boats along the way. Well, we're going to get to the boats here in a minute because I know, I know Bruce likes fish. I enjoy fishing too, and I haven't been in a while, so i got to go fishing. Uh, what, uh, what would you say were the big turning points during your lives as a couple when it comes to any type of financial decision? Because you had two kids. Mm-hmm. You had to take care of them. But, so you didn't get to save every dollar you could have saved because you had to pay for some children expenses, but what would you say were the keys? You said teamwork. What else? Uh, Teamwork, because, I mean, we had two kids, and we had to kind of work together on that. Um, 
uh, getting the kids through college. So each kid got a car and a college education and a new suit. And I figured that's all we really owed them. <laughs> uh, but they did. They both ended up with uh, good school experiences, and that was important to us. So that was a big expense for a while. I think uh, one decision that we made sort of later on was to get some long-term health insurance. And while I didn't think too much about it at the time, as I'm, so I'm 72 and Bruce is 69, um, I see my friends now who need home health care and they have to pay for it out of their pockets. Right. And that is, even if we never use it, I mean, insurance is the kind of thing that if you never use it, that's great. Um, Actually, you hope you never use it. Yes, right. You hope you've wasted the premiums, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, I mean, if we never use it, that's fine. But that gave us some peace of mind that everything we did save is protected because we can, we have the long-term health insurance in case something happens. Because I've seen friends go through all of their savings and and also friends who are taking care of parents who go through all savings because of health needs. That's also true of the life insurance that you got over the years, because life insurance is not just about covering debt. It's also about replacing assets. So the two of you have done a good job of planning where if you wanted to, you could spend every dollar you have in your retirement accounts and still leave a legacy because mm-hmm. of your life insurance in place. So, so it's like having a cost recovery vehicle. You spend everything and still leave money behind. So the long-term care insurance, your life insurance, all that works together to allow you to have an even better retirement than you thought you would. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you're retired. Mm-hmm. A few years leading up to retirement, let's talk about your mindset there. How were you feeling about it? Were you anxious about it? Were you excited about it? I'm looking at Bruce smiling and nodding his head. So tell I us what you think. I was anxious about it. Um, <clears throat> it. I guess I've always listened to my parents and other people's parents say that they never would have enough money to retire and they'd have to work for their whole lives. And I'm thinking, how much money do you have to have to make this work? So we were always worried about that to some extent. But uh, it, it seems to have worked out. Yes. We now have enough money that we can live comfortably. I can go fishing. I can Keep your play boat. darts or do whatever... Uh, hobby I like to do at a time, and it seems to be a comfortable way of doing it. So, I, I think we've always lived somewhat modestly. I mean, Bruce has always had his boat need, and we both had the travel need, and so we do spend money on travel. Um, but I think we basically live pretty frugally. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to the travel in a moment. The what do you think was the mindset? You mentioned parents. You maybe you said maybe listening to parents. Uh, let's dig deeper in that. So, from the standpoint, are you saying, Bruce, that maybe you, you you didn't think that you had the ability to do it, or you just doubted the ability to be able to retire? What it wasn't think? the ability as much as it was how much do you need? Do I need ten million? Do I need three hundred thousand? I just didn't have a figure that I'm that was my goal. <coughs> So I never knew, and I was always apprehensive. Did I didn't know if I had enough money to quit. And when it came time, and we came to you and asked for your opinion, and was it was it something that we could do? And you said, "Yeah, we can do that now." So it helped me make my decision of 
how much longer I was going to work for sure. And I think people are being hurt when they're being taught to have a number. I don't think the number works because when you have this number, what happens if 2008 hits or 2000, 2001, 2002 and your number gets diminished? Correct. I think it's more important to have streams of income that you can never outlive because you have several sources of income streams coming in now or you can turn them on whenever you want to. So we try to get people to understand that it's not just about how much money you've got because that money could be taken away from you in the stock market. It could be stolen. You could lose it. You could go squander it. But if you have guaranteed streams of income, coming in. And most Americans today will not have a guaranteed pension plan. It's up to them to save the money, either in a 401k or a SEP account, simplified employee pension plan like you had, Judy, or 403b like you both have had. But the tendency is saying, you know, retirement's way out there. I want that new car. I want that new boat. I'm going to go spend it. I'm going to get all the debt to finance all that. And so we find this lack of spending and too much debt. And the two biggest things is too big a house, too big of a mortgage, and also uh, brand new cars. Because yeah. people are paying so much money for car payments, they, they don't have any room for saving. Right. I think one thing we've done along the way is pay things off. Uh, the only thing we owe on right now is the home that we're going to make our main home in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And everything else has always been paid for, including cars. Right. And so, um, so we haven't had a lot of debt, which I think is good. But that goes back to the discipline again. Yeah. Like you said, you only one half was available to spend mm. of your consulting because you saved, paid your taxes and saved. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, Judy, from your perspective, leading up closer to retirement. Did you share the same concerns and anxiety that Bruce had? Oh, yeah. I, I my parents never thought about retirement much. And uh, my mother was fortunate enough to be, she lived a nice long life at 98, but she also uh, worked for the Los Angeles uh, County. And so she did have a pension. And so she, uh, she was good. I mean, that was, that was all good, but Bruce did not, Bruce did not have a um, pension. Right. And so we had to be disciplined there (coughs) because the school only had uh, Valic accounts available to us. But yeah, I was nervous about how much is enough and how much do we need and I've never been a really good budgeter and so although I'm a compulsive planner (laughs) I've never been a very good budgeter and so um, every once in a while I'd sit down and try and come up with a budget but it never it's not that we couldn't stick to it it's um, I don't know just, budgets don't work for most people oh don't they no it's it's too constricting yeah see think of try this out for size Cash flow analysis. Doesn't oh, that, that, doesn't that yeah. sound better? Yeah, right. Cash flow spending. Mm-hmm. That sounds much nicer than yeah. budget. Budget is, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. Right. <clears throat> so you overcame that by saving so much. Uh huh. That's how yeah. you overcome it, save money. But I was I would say five years before retirement, I was pretty apprehensive about having enough. What changed that? Um, I think uh, our visits one or two times a year to check on things. And to see, yeah, yeah, that's on track and that the Florida retirement uh, money is going to be there and how to deal with the drop money uh, and things like that. I think checking in on a regular basis was very helpful and made us feel a little bit more at peace. Well, I will tell you, you guys are always very disciplined about making sure we had those appointments and you always came in prepared. And I think that's key 
you don't just sit down and say, okay, tell me what I've got. You know what you have, and you paid attention, and you were involved in it. I visit my money almost every day. <clears throat> That's good. And um, the, <laughs> I, I love the living balance sheet because right. I can, we can um, um, connect all of the accounts that we have, even ones that are not done through this office. Right. And so I can look at everything in one place. And then we're to the point now where I can print that out for my children and give them the password, and they can look at it if they want. So uh, if need be, they could have access to that money and know who to call, and and it's all there. I even have a little folder in there that's called In the Event. In the Event. In the Event. And so, I mean, with contact numbers and things like that. Well, you mentioned earlier about long-term care situations. We're trying to get people, and you're, you're doing it next week, in fact, with your children. We're trying to get people to open up and let their adult children know what they've got. Maybe not every little thing, uh, because the day is going to come when either we die or we're incapacitated and somebody needs to have access to that. We're working on a situation right now, it's tragic, where a lady died. Um, everything that she had with us because of the living balance sheet being organized, everything's done. It was all taken care of in two or three weeks. And now we're being told, April just told me this morning, that in her case that the legal side and the trust side, they're saying it's been another 10 to 12 months. And this lady died back in November. Well, it's, yeah. just, it's just ridiculous yeah. that it's being dragged out mm-hmm. and it costs so much mm-hmm. of that. So we're trying to teach people, let's get you organized first. Do the planning first, then worry about products. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there, you don't have everything with us. There are things elsewhere. You don't have to have everything with us. Yeah, we, if we can help, we will. I remember when we started doing the retirement discussions, what we call the retirement rehearsal. I could sense then, and you actually vocalize it, once you knew that the pieces of the puzzle were there, Bruce, it gave you somewhat of a more confident Feeling, I guess I would describe it. And, and I go back to when you were coaching. You know, it, you have to have a game plan. If you have a right. game plan, now granted, once you got out on the field, yeah. the game plan changes, okay, once yeah. contact's made. But talk a little bit about the comparison of a coach, because I love coaches, because we have to do with people. But from the coaching side and how you think that relates to the financial planning side and retirement planning. Or is there a similar? I never thought of it until just now, but uh, it probably does. In a game situation especially, you have uh, only a certain amount of time that you can actually do your coaching. The kids have to know what they're doing on the field or on the court. And you have timeouts, which coincide with meetings with you and things like that. So there is a, a situation there where it parallels really well, actually, with coaching. I see myself as a coach in the sense that I can't do the job for you. I can coach you. I can guide you, be a mentor. But if somebody will not take the action necessary or change their behavior, and it used to really tear me up. And uh, something happened in 1982. Two things happened. In May of that year, my wife's brother committed suicide. August of that year, my brother committed suicide. It was a tough year. And I realized finally one day I can't make you do anything. And I had to let that stuff go. Because if you didn't follow through on something that, that I knew you needed to do, I would, I'd worry about it. And I'd even get angry. What did I do wrong? Why can't I make them do well, it? I, I know we didn't do some things that you asked us to do, but I think we did probably 60% of those things. And now we're in a situation where we have 
um, gain the knowledge ourselves and we can just call you, you can explain something to us and uh, we can make changes from there. But uh, we feel comfortable with where we are. So you took ownership. First of all, thank you for that. But you took ownership in your, in your planning. That's the key. And that's why we're doing the podcast because we're having an impact. There, there are over 5,000 people who have access to this. Now, I don't know how many people listen to it. Can't control that. But all we can do in life, in your world is coaching, in your world is teaching. All you can do is share what you know and hope that people take it and use it. Mm-hmm. Some will, some won't. Some will do it now, some will do it later. And it doesn't matter. All we want to do, our mission is to just get it out there, teach. And that's what you did in your careers. Yes. I want to fast forward to something you said earlier. I'm going to read this, and I want you to explain who, who shared this. You said earlier that someone told you that retirement is a big equalizer. Will you share that? Uh, yes. We, uh, we were moving to a community, Clarksville, Virginia, which is only 1,500 people. And uh, they're lovely, inclusive people. But uh, we're all new to uh to Clarksville. So, I mean, some people have grown up there. And, and so uh, so all the people we're meeting there, we're meeting new. We haven't known them for 20 years. So as we meet people, we're meeting them as retired people. Right. And so what you used to do isn't as important as when you were working because there's no sort of hierarchy of, of job status. Mm-hmm. Um, we we play darts on Wednesday night with a group of people that are just lovely people to to interact with. And half of the people, I don't even know what they did during their working lives, and it doesn't matter. Right. And, you know, if they ask, <clears throat> tell them. And so there you're not Dr. Judy. <laughs> no, and, and nor do I need to be. <clears throat> right. Uh, I mean, that's not important. So, um, so yeah, so retirement can be the, the big equalizer when you are retired, especially if you're meeting people new. Right. If you're in the same community of people you used to work with, it might be a little different because people know about your history. Right. Well, when you said that earlier, I was struck by it because I'd never heard that or thought of it that way. I just know that I know a lot of people that when they retire, men especially, still mm-hmm. struggle because they thought they've lost their identity mm-hmm. because they no longer have the job to go to. I was fortunate back in the early 80s to do a series of workshops for General Electric employees in Daytona. And they had a panel. The first time I went in, they had a panel discussion during lunch. They brought couples in that had retired. And some of the stories that were being told would blow your mind in the sense that back then, you talked about uh, Leave it to Beaver days, the TV show. uh, Most of the women had never had a job. They'd never worked outside the home. And one person after another, the women would say, I wish he would go back to work. He's in my way. He's underfoot. Because these guys had no hobbies. They were mostly engineers of some kind. And they would go home and they would just interrupt <laughs> the wife's life, you know, so get out of here. It's but, funny. You know, our new identity is being grandparents. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're moving to Clarksville, is being near our four little grandchildren. And that's more important to our identity, I think, right now right. than being a professor or being an athletic director. So. And what you've done is see your careers is nothing more than a way to fund the things you want to do in life. We get too caught up in what we do. And, and I'm guilty of it some too because I love what I do. I hope I never quote fully retire uh, as long as I'm able to bring value and healthy and can work. But I don't want to be work, work, work all the time. I want to carve out time to go do things I want to do now. I don't want to wait until some magic date or age right. to quote be retired. 
So what's wrong with working hard and playing hard along the way? Right. And this thing called retirement, I think, is I think it causes a lot of stress. It's not mm-hmm. necessary. You know, it's not necessary. It's a good time in your life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Talk a little bit about your travels because you have you've done a lot of traveling. Uh, share some of the uh, trips that you've been on that uh, were most memorable for you. We generally travel with a company called Overseas Adventure Travel. And we like them because they specialize in small groups and local guides. And they also encourage discussion of controversial issues. So we've probably been to about 40 countries right now, I think is about where we are. Four zero? Four zero, yeah. Wow. Forty. Uh, We just got back from the Middle East. So we went to Egypt and Jordan and Israel. And we spent five days in Palestine, which was very interesting. And um, and it took 28 days. We were gone 28 days, and it took 28 days to sort of figure out um, why people were interacting the way they were. Uh, not only because I mean, we not only did we enjoy the beautiful sites like Petra and the Egyptian tombs, but um, we're more interested in some of the cultural uh, aspects of traveling and mm-hmm. how people interact with each other and why. <clears throat> And uh, so that was a really interesting trip, but I think one of our favorites was Africa. Before you go there, yeah. I want you to go back and expand on something. You made the comment about, because uh, you told me this last time we met, too, something about no discussion about politics or whatever. Expand on that. Oh, well, because we've become such a divisive nation arguing about politics, so share that. When we travel, the only rule that uh, overseas adventure travel has, and you're on a bus with 15 people, so, I mean, you're pretty together for uh, two, three, or four weeks. And the only that you can discuss any controversial issue, the only thing you may not discuss is American politics. Really? And that (laughs) is because, I mean, you're with people for 15 to 16 days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like nobody wants to go there when you're trying to understand another culture and another whole set of interesting interactions between people. I wouldn't want to hear about politics from Europe either. I don't want to hear any country's politics if I'm on vacation. Just enjoy well, the Well, when you're in the country, I mean, for example... Well, that's whole, different if I'm the, in that country. Yeah, I mean, when we were in Palestine and trying to understand the whole Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you sort of had to be there to uh, see people interact and go to the refugee camps and... Um, and sort of see how people reacted. And we were making those decisions on our own. Nobody was lecturing and saying, this is the way it is. We were seeing things for ourselves and then being able to ask questions. That's good. Tell us about Africa. Well, I'll let Bruce do that. Oh, yes. Bruce, jump in. It's a wonderful experience. We saw so many beautiful animals and uh, wonderful uh, encounters with... uh, large groups of animals, the herds of buffaloes that we saw, and the zebras, and the giraffes in the savannas. It was really uh, uh, life-altering, I guess, to to say the least, uh, enjoying nature in their their, uh, part of the world. What do you say to those who are listening to this, and they are somewhat either fearful or uncomfortable with travel, what would, what, would, what would you say to them? Travel takes you out of your comfort zone. 
And if you're a control freak and you have to have everything controlled, then you won't enjoy travel. Because you get lost, you, uh, you, you're misunderstood because you can't speak the language. You there. hold out your hand with a pocket of money and have somebody grab it out of there because you can't count the change because you just got there that day and you don't know what those little coins mean. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's so many things that happen that are beyond your control. Mm -hmm. And so the people that we know that don't like to travel are pretty like to control their environment. And when you travel, especially when you travel to some of, like we've been to Peru and Machu Picchu and the Galapagos, especially when you're traveling to places that are, and we've been to the Amazon, a little dicey, uh, you don't have control over all of that. And that, that's another reason we travel with a group because they have local guides. So you're not there trying to negotiate all that by yourself. But things happen. Yep. And so... Um, <laughs> You know, it's been an important part of our life to travel around the world and, and experience how other people live. It's It expands your life view, and it expands your perspective of... And it makes you appreciate what you have yeah. here in the United States. Absolutely. My, my first adventure into traveling was 17 when I was in the Air Force. Going, spending time in Okinawa, Philippines, Thailand. <clears throat> it was amazing learn about other people's culture. So I get that. And then when I had the opportunity because of business travel to go to Europe, it was, it was, it was an eye-opening experience because similar to your situation, Judy, I grew up in a very small town. Uh, we only had 300 people in the entire community. Probably all that's there now, over in Holmes County, in fact. I went to school in Bonifay. I think uh, my high school senior class, I think there were only 53 of us in the class. And it's amazing. So I was just grew up in this little bitty hick town and <laughs> I had to get out of there. Yeah. So my dad stopped me going to the Air Force at 17 and that was my first adventure into travel. Mm -hmm. But you're right, it stretches you, it makes you think differently. Uh, you, it, sometimes you're right, I had not thought of it this way, but if you don't enjoy travel or if you're a control freak, you're not going to enjoy travel. No. Because I've been lost so many times. It's, it's like, Can you help me? <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, people... Everybody wants the same thing. They want a safe place to be able to raise their children yes. and live out their lives. Yep. Everybody all over the world wants that. That's so true. And so when you travel, I mean, that's what you experience with other people. I mean, you sort of get blinded by all of the politics and, and, and conflict and all of that. But basically, people are people. And that's what they want for their lives and their children's lives. And Every single trip that we've been on, somebody has remarked how lucky we are to be born in the time and place that we were. I think luck is important. And lucky is a good word, but you also have to do something with that luck. Do you remember the very first trip uh, country you went to? You said 40 countries. You remember the first Oh, one? we went to Germany and Belgium and Holland, and we took uh, a group of high school boys. Uh, soccer players, actually. <laughs> And it was, yeah, we remembered that. Uh, we were on a group tour with that uh, group of kids, and the people that we went with were not as organized as we had thought they were. So when we got there, we were kind of on our own, and we were thrown into a situation where we were lost a lot of the times. <laughs> Didn't know when we were going to get picked up to go from one place to another. So we learned that it was important to be able to control a little bit better uh, where, what you do and where you go by going with a group that's already been there before. So that's why we use that group, and it's 
worked out for us. We enjoy traveling with them. It's just fun sitting with you and just having conversations every time we get together. I just I feel like I learn something new every time we're together because of your travels. Our conversation mm-hmm. last time you were in about your trip mm-hmm. uh, to the Middle East was really interesting. I wish we had like an hour just to talk about that. Uh, let's talk about the future. Uh, you've already shared your ages. Uh, somebody, some people would say, wow, I'm too old to go do these things. To you, you have a different mindset about age also. I've never heard either of you once talk about age being a limiting factor. Now, we know with age, we're going to have maybe uh, physical issues where we can't travel as much. You don't seem to be slowed down by anything. If anything, you're, you're more like, I got more I want to do. Am I reading that right? Well, uh, well, yeah, I, I guess. But as my brother said, it's all, it's, about, it's all about the next 15 years. And so, you know, my mother died at 98, but that's rare. And so we're moving to Virginia, and we want to be around our grandkids and our kids. And because they're... Next 15 years, <coughs> meaning that maybe that's all the time you have left as far as life well, expectancy? Ter- uh, well, life expectancy or being able to get around the way we do or being able to travel like the way we like to travel, which is active. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to walk three to five miles a day when you travel with Oat. <clears throat> and so uh, I think it's, you know, it's not a phrenic kind of, I have to get these things done before I die, but it's, I want to be in a position to do the things that I want to do and not look back and say, gee, I wish I would have. And I wish I would have moved to Virginia to be with my grandkids for their next 15 years, because in 15 years, they're all going to be grown. You want to live a life of no regrets. Yeah. Well, that would be nice. I have a few regrets. Well, but. sure. We're human. <laughs> We're human. But, <clears throat> but I don't know. Get up off the couch. Yeah. Keep moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't think that the time or the age is as limiting as the health. Keep your health. That's more important as, as you get older. To me, it is. Any thoughts on that? About how to do that? Oh, yeah. I've seen what happens and works for me. Um, you just you try to do nothing in over. You don't tr- you don't go drinking too much or eating too much or those kind of things. Um, exercise is very important, but I don't think you need to go and do marathons every day either. So right. so it's mediocre doing uh, things that are healthy for you. What you eat is more important than how much you eat, of course. And, there's a lot of things that way. But I get exercise three to four times a, a week, and that helps me. Helps you mentally, too, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it keeps yeah. you clear. I have to have my exercise, if nothing else, just for a respite from the mental side. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the weight loss, or I call it weight uh, releasing over the years, has been good for me. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, talk about your grandkids. You, you, you are moving because you'll be with your grandchildren hang out with them. So let's talk about the future there. What do you? What are some of the things you have planned to do with them or want to do? Well, one of the, uh, we have a 10-year-old boy and a 6-year-old girl and a 4-year-old girl and a 3-year-old boy. Two and two with our two kids. Mm-hmm. And one of them is one hour away from our new place and one is three hours away. So, so far can, enough away that you're not underfoot. Right. <laughs> but, but we also live on a lake and have a boat and a dock and uh, every imaginable toy. So we have paddle boards and mats and 
and slip and slides and will you adopt me please yes <laughs> so the kids like to come to the lake and we I have fun. and and fun is a high priority i mean it's we're, we're not there to work or weed the garden or anything we're i mean that gets done when they're not there but um we really enjoy when we go and pick up a kid and have them by ourselves and so last uh summer we had aiden who's seven who's uh, ten by himself for a couple of weeks and then we went and got Haley who's six and we had her for four or five days by herself and uh, that's just fun to have kids around where you can really interact and play cards and uh, go fishing and um, I mean that's it's just fun to be with them it is Uh, I had a special weekend last weekend with my grandson he's 13 and uh, I had to get him back over to his mom uh, at noon on Saturday so we went out to our property at 36 acres over in Jefferson County, and we set up a little target ranch where we could shoot 22 rifles, just a little plinking. And that's what he wanted to do. So we did that and got up the next day and did the same thing, and he wanted to play chess. So we just sit there at the kitchen table and play a game of chess. It's just cool. Just and the I two have, of us. I have to say that when my kids were little, I didn't have the time or the patience to play Old Maid on Saturday morning. <laughs> but now I do. Right. I mean, because I was busy working and there were always things to be done and they were in sports. But now we do have time to sit and play cards with kids for three hours on Saturday morning if we want to. Do you ever feel like, Judy, that some of the things that you didn't do, get to do with your kids, you're doing with the children? Now, do you ever look back and have any regrets of that? No, we, we really enjoyed being with our kids. I mean, we enjoyed raising our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we have any real regrets. No. We were just busy. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were all busy, and they were involved in quite a few different kinds of sports, and both were very good in their academic programs. But, but we were busy with our jobs. You were yeah. at games every single night, and right. I was at FSU and traveling, and yeah. right. it was always a negotiation. But we always felt like we were doing things together. Right. It wasn't like we were not doing things, so That's because good. we didn't want, you know, to get lost up in it so i think it worked out very well very good as we begin to wrap up here uh give some thoughts as to last ideas or advice that you would offer anyone that's listening in saying wow you know these people have had a good life they've had good careers sounds like that they had fun traveled 40 countries i didn't know i knew Travel, I, I had no idea it was 40 countries. Thanks for sharing that. But talk a little bit about what advice you would offer people and what they uh, may want to consider as they're getting close to retirement or maybe in retirement. Have fun along the way because I see a lot of people that don't take a trip until they retire. There's a lot of the world to see. You can't see the world in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of the world to see. And... And I think we've always had a really good support group around us, um, the McClay people and the people I worked with at FSU. We always, we've always had a wide, supportive group of friends. Neither one of us lived near family, so we didn't have instant babysitters or things. We went and visited family, but we've always had a really um, good support group of friends, all of our kids, parents. And um, and we always did things with them, soccer games and weekends away here and there. And um, I think we've had fun along the way. Yeah. And take care of your health. Mm-hmm. That's pretty important. If you get sick and you can't do things, then that's no fun. 
but as long as you're staying healthy, no matter how old you are, you might slow down a little bit, but you can still go. So right. Go, 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 as long as you can. I'm thinking of some friends that live at the villages. Uh, he's now 80, and I think she's 78, maybe. They go on cruises and travel all the time. Mm-hmm. And they slow down some. What you just said, they've taken care of themselves, so they've slowed down some, but they're still traveling, still having fun. Mm-hmm. And they do like you've done. Their, their grandchildren now are uh, adults. But they would take each of the grandchildren one at a time on a cruise mm-hmm. and hang out with them. And I've had the pleasure many times of being invited to their time when they get together at Christmas over in Destin. And I feel like I'm part of the family. Mm-hmm. And I go over, and I only stay for a day. I just go over for the day because I don't intrude. But I look at what they've done, the memories they've, they've shared together, and the the tight, tight, tight relationships as a family. Yeah. And they might be apart, but they talk, and they're right. together for special occasions. Yeah. And the dynamics of families change. Yes. So as your children get married, you're adopting a whole other family, which is a whole different dynamic. And then they choose to raise their kids the way they negotiate it. Nobody comes to you and says, what do you want to do for Christmas, Mom? (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, I mean, they they have their own lives and their own uh, things that they want to do uh, around holidays and, and things like that. And I think at this age, you just have to be really flexible so that they can live the lives they want. We, we got to. We got to mm-hmm. determine how we wanted to raise our kids, and so they need that same level of uh, choice. But that's another area of talking about being a control freak. Some people can't let go of that. Some people can't do it. But if we can let other people live their lives, mm-hmm. we're better off. Mm-hmm. We're better off. Any closing thoughts? Anything else you want to share? talked about a lot of different things yes you have <laughs> for someone who says quiet I'm, I'm so thankful that you joined us today and, and spoke up I've enjoyed doing this yeah thank you for doing it oh, Judy, thank you anything uh, no I mean it's been an it's been a it was as we leave Tallahassee this is sort of a closure type of activity uh-huh. to kind of think about our lives here in Tallahassee as we sort of embark on a new one in Clarksville Virginia well I will tell you that I, I've enjoyed this and I, I have, I'm selfish, so I get to spend time with the two of you when you're in town as friends, not just an advisor. That's always good. But thank you so much for doing oh, this and sharing. Bruce, thank you so much. Thank you. If you would like to know more about John Curry Services, you can request a complimentary information package by visiting johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Again, that is johnhcurry.com slash podcast. Or you can call his office at 850-562-3000. Again, that is 850-562-3000. John H. Curry, Chartered Life Underwriter, Charter Financial Consultant, Accredited Estate Planner, Master's in Science and Financial Services, Certified in Long-Term Care, Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Securities, products, and services and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities. Park Avenue Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. This material is intended for general public use 
By providing this material, we are not undertaking to provide investment advice for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact one of our financial professionals for guidance and information specific to your individual situation. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, or employees do not provide legal, tax, or accounting advice. Please consult with your attorney, accountant, and or tax advisor for advice concerning your particular circumstances. Not affiliated with the Florida Retirement System. The Living Balance Sheet and the Living Balance Sheet logo are registered service marks of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Copyright 2005-2018. through This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities or Guardian and opinions stated are their own.